verses 14 through 23. We will conclude our exposition of Philippians this morning. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. I hope that the Apostle Paul has taught you to be joyful in the Lord Jesus. Our plan for the next season of preaching is to finish Philippians today. And then we'll preach a few individual sermons from around the Bible. And then we'll start a little mini-series on the 23rd Psalm, which will take us several weeks to unpack. And then sometime in late spring, we'll see, we'll start a new book study. So let's finish Philippians this morning. We'll start in chapter 4, verse 14. Let me remind you, church, that when Scripture speaks, God speaks. So may we approach the reading of his word with reverence and awe. Paul says this, verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Father, grant unto us eyes to see and ears to hear. This we ask in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen. I like the story of a little girl who was given $2 by her father. The father told the little girl that she could do anything she wanted with the one dollar, but that the other dollar was to be given to the Lord at church on Sunday. So she put one dollar in one hand and the other dollar in the other hand. And as she was skipping along, she tripped and fell and the wind blew one of her two dollars into a storm drain. Picking herself up, she looked at the remaining dollar in her hand and she said, well, Lord, there goes your dollar. Now, we laugh at that joke, and and it is funny, but I think money can tell us a lot about a person's heart, can't it? There's no more accurate gauge or barometer of a person's heart than how they think about money. I think this is what Jesus was hinting at when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts are often intimately tied to our wallets and to our purses. I've entitled today's message... The church that gives, the God who provides. And I've given it this title because we see those two principles at work in our text this morning. Those two principles. 
On the one hand, we see that churches are to give to the work of the gospel. On the other hand, we see that God provides for those who do, in fact, support the work of the gospel. So on the one hand, this passage is about Christian giving. It's about stewardship and financial partnership in the gospel. In fact, if you look back at the text, you'll see several references to giving. Down in verse 15, Paul says, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Verse 16, Paul says that the Philippians sent him help, financial help. And then verse 18, he says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. So I think we need to take a lesson from the Philippian church. Godly churches give of their resources for the Lord's work. Or to support preachers and teachers and missionaries and evangelists. But on the other hand, this passage is also about how God provides for those who do in fact give to his work. God gives to those who give. In fact, you see a couple references to God's provision in our text. In verse 18, Paul says our giving is pleasing to God. And he says in verse 19, God will supply all of our needs when we give to the Lord's work. So I think Paul is saying to the Philippian church, he's saying, you've been very generous to me. And because you've been so generous to me, God will give generously to you. That's the principle at work that we see. God delights to provide for his people when his people give to the work of the ministry. So those are our two headings this morning, our two points. First, from verses 14 through 18, we see the church that gives. And then second, from verses 19 through 23, we see the God who provides. So let's look first at the church that gives. And for this point, we're looking at verses 14 through 18. So you'll notice the partnership first. There's a partnership between Paul and the Philippians. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, yet it was kind of you, you Philippians, to share my trouble. The word share is the Greek root word koinonia, and it means fellowship or partnership. So the Philippians partnered with the apostle Paul financially. They gave him money for his missionary and his church planning efforts. In fact, we saw way back in chapter one, verse five, Paul said, I thank my God because of your partnership. It's the same word koinonia because of your partnership with me from the first day of the gospel until now. Now, what trouble is is Paul in? He says, verse 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble. What does he mean, trouble? Well, remember the context. Uh, Paul is in jail. He was thrown in in prison. Uh, He was arrested in in Jerusalem, and now he sits in Rome in jail for preaching the gospel. So the Philippians share Paul's woes. They've stayed by his side. In fact, back in chapter 1, verse 7, Paul said, you are all partakers with me in my imprisonment. So here's one application we can draw from verse 14 in this word share. In the church, we have to share each other's burdens. We have to share each other's uh, troubles as believers. Notice how Paul says, it was kind of you to share, literally to partner with my troubles. So, The church, our church, ought to be a place where we share each other's victories and our failures, where we share each other's successes, but also our sufferings. Here's a second application. 
I think verse 14 teaches us that the Christian life is never done in isolation. The word share tells us that. You can't be a Christian and sit at home on the couch. You have to be a part of a a church. That's because you need others in the church to help you, and others need you. Verses 15 and 16 tell us more about this partnership. Look at verse 15 and 16. Paul says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, that means when Paul planted the church, when I left Macedonia, Philippi is in Macedonia, he says, no church entered into partnership, there's that word, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, there's a couple principles that I want to pull out from these two verses about giving. A couple of principles that I think flow out of this partnership between Paul and the Philippians in verses 15 and 16. And I think these principles are going to help you in your giving. They can guide you today as you give to the Lord's work. Notice how the Philippians' giving was outstanding. It was outstanding. I say outstanding because verse 15. Paul says, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. So Paul's saying, you Philippians, you stand out in your giving. He's saying out of all the other churches, you guys have been outstanding in your giving. And to me, this is a surprising comment because if you know the history of the Philippian church, at one point, they were probably pretty poor. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 tells us that all the churches of Macedonia went, went bankrupt. And remember, Philippi is in Macedonia. So at one point, a poverty probably struck the Philippian church. Yet they still gave. Apparently, they had little funds, yet they still gave. And, and Paul says, I, I recognize your giving. And so that's a good principle for us as we seek to give to the Lord's work. We need to be outstanding in our giving. Now, obviously, our giving is not a competition. We're not trying to, to one-up somebody else in the church. But we do want to give generously from our resources. We want to give amply. Now, notice how they were long-standing in their giving. So they weren't just outstanding, but they were long-standing. I see this in verse 16. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So he's saying, when I left Philippi and when I went down the road to Thessalonica, you still gave to me. He's saying, you guys gave repeatedly and continually. Up to this point, the Philippians have been supporting Paul and his missionary efforts for about a decade. Remember, the church was planted in roughly A.D. 50, and it's now roughly A.D. 60 as he writes the letter that we're reading from. So the Philippians, they've been supporting Paul probably for 10 to 12 years. I think this is another good principle for us today. Another application. We want to be outstanding in our giving. We also want to be long-standing in our giving. So outstanding and long-standing. In other words, be generous with your money and don't stop being generous. And let me also add this. Faithful giving to, to your church is something that we should establish early in the Christian life. Young people, young couples, let me talk to you. Establish this principle early in your life because I don't think it gets easier to give the older you get. 
In fact, in my opinion, the longer you wait to start giving, the harder it'll be to give because you're going to have more demands. You have more kids, more cars, maybe a bigger mortgage, on and on. You know, a lot of people think, you know, when I, when I, when I'll, I'll give whenever I, I hit a certain wealth threshold. When I get that raise at work, that's when I'll give. But to me, the longer you wait, the harder it'll be to start giving regularly. So I think we need to give early in our Christian lives. So the Philippians, they gave immediately and they gave repeatedly. They were outstanding and they were longstanding. They gave early and their giving was enduring. Well, that brings us to the pictures. So we've seen this partnership between Paul and the Philippians. And now Paul gives us some pictures. And there's two pictures in verses 17 and 18. There's the fruit, verse 17. And there's the fragrance, verse 18. So notice this picture of fruit in verse 17. What's he say? He says, not that I seek the gift. In other words, it's not really the money I'm after. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Okay, what does that mean? What is the fruit that increases to your credit? Well, Paul is using accounting language. This is accounting metaphor here in verse 17. So the word fruit means profit. The word increase means to accrue interest. And the word credit means something you earn. And again, this is accounting or you could say banking talk or language. So the fruit that increases to your credit means that when you give money to the Lord and his work, there's a sense in which you profit from it. Notice the language. He says, it's the fruit that increases to your credit. So when you give to the ministry, there's a sense in which you accrue interest and you receive credit. So Paul's saying, when you give to God, it's like fruit that's being added to your account. In other words, our giving yields a return to the Lord. Our giving produces compounding interest. Our giving brings an eternal rate of return, or you could say accumulating uh, dividends to our account. To say it yet differently, the greatest beneficiary of your giving is you. That's what Paul's saying in verse 17. It's the fruit that increases to your credit. In other words, it blesses you when you bless others by giving. What's the second picture? Well, it's this this picture of fragrance. Verse 18. Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Remember, Epaphroditus was probably the mailman. Probably he took uh, the the Philippians' money from Philippi to Paul in, in jail in Rome. And then Paul sent this man, Epaphroditus, back with the letter to the church at Philippi. And he says, I've received Epaphroditus' gifts that you sent. It's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Okay, so what picture does Paul use? What's the imagery here? Well, it's that of a fragrance, right? He says it's a fragrant offering when we give to God. In other words, it pleases the Lord when we give. That's something to think about, isn't it? Something to consider in our own life. When we give generously, it's like a sacrifice that pleases 
our father. What sense, if you will, please the Lord? What does he delight in? Well, verse 18 tells you, God loves a cheerful giver. Paul says, giving is a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I still love how the King James translates verse 18. A giving is like an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. So that's the church that gives. I think we need to take some lessons from the Philippian congregation. We need to learn from how they gave to the work of the ministry. That brings us second to the God who provides. And for this point, we'll look at verses 19 through 23. And we'll see the promise and then the praise. So verse 19 gives us the promise. I want you to listen very carefully to verse 19. Please note what Paul says. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, so what's the promise? Did you catch it? What's the promise from from God's word? Well, the promise is this. If you are generous toward God, God will be generous toward you. In other words, God gives to those who give. To say it differently, if you care about what God cares about, God will take care of your cares. That's what he's saying in verse 19. And I want to really mine verse 19. There's a lot to unpack here. So look back at the text. We're going to go word by word, phrase by phrase here in verse 19. Notice the conjunction and. Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours. What does that conjunction tell us in the sentence? What's it say to us? Well, it tells us that verse 19 is not just a good verse about how God takes care of us. It is that. God always takes care of his people. That's true. But rather, I think it's a great verse about God taking care of us when we give. It's that God is generous toward us when we are generous toward the work of the ministry. The conjunction and in verse 19 means that verse 19 depends on the previous verses. And the previous verses are about Christian giving. So this promise here in verse 19, it applies to faithful givers. It's for those who take stewardship and Christian giving seriously. Another thing to notice is the supply of this promise. The supply. Listen to what God will supply. Paul says, verse 19, my God will supply your needs. That phrase, will supply, it's another banking term. It's a a financial or an accounting word. Back in verse 18, Paul said, I'm well supplied. Same word. And now he's saying in verse 19, you Philippians, you supplied me, and now God is going to supply you. Notice the totality of this promise. The totality, verse 19. My God will supply what? Every need of yours. That's a a total promise, isn't it? The phrase, every need of yours, tells us that when we give to God, God's going to meet all of our needs. Not our greeds, but our needs. This is not the prosperity gospel that Paul's preaching. It's not that if you give, God's going to give you a mansion in the mountains or three shiny Corvettes. 
Rather, it's the principle that when we give, God takes care of us. He provides for us. Let me uh, quote a few other scriptures here to back this up. Uh, Notice Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your your vats will be bursting with wine. Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's like the guy who told his pastor, he said, Pastor, I just can't afford to give. And the pastor said, well, actually, you can't afford not to give. Shame on us if we don't believe this promise in verse 19. Shame on us if we don't give while trusting that God will provide for all of our needs. Lastly, notice the wealth of this promise. The wealth. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Now notice, Paul does not say that God gives from his riches, not from his riches, but what? According to his riches. That's how he qualifies. God gives according to his riches. There's a big difference, I think, between from God's riches and according to God's riches. How so? Well, if a billionaire gave from his riches, he could give me 50 bucks. That's not all that impressive to receive 50 bucks from a billionaire, is it? But if a billionaire gave according to, or you could say in step with his riches, he could easily give me $5 million. $5 million is more in keeping with or according to what a billionaire could give. So notice, God doesn't give from his riches, but according to his riches. And let me tell you, church, God is a rich, rich God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns every star in the sky. Everything you own, he owns. It it comes from his hand anyways. So let me ask you, do you believe this promise in verse 19? Do, Do you understand what Paul is saying in verse 19? God will provide for our needs. Do you trust it? I recently ran a study across a study on giving. Uh, This particular study said that only 17% of evangelical Christians give regularly to the ministry. I think about that. Only 17%. Another study I read said this. A nationwide, Christians only give 2.5% of their income. Yet another study I found uh, said that millennials, that's, that's my generation, are usually the least giving of all the generations. That's too bad, isn't it? I like the story of the queen who asked a merchant to undertake a special mission for her, a special operation. And the merchant said, but your majesty, if I leave my business for too long to help you, it's going to hurt my business. And the queen said this, if you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. And when the merchant returned, he found that his business had rapidly grown and everything was better when he left it. I love that. If you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. I think that's what Paul is saying here in verse 19. So we need to make sure that we believe this promise in verse 19. 
My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let's look quickly at the praise here in verses 20 through 23. So the promise and now the praise. You'll notice how Paul ends the letter in in the praise of God. He praises, he exalts God. He says, verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a pretty fitting way to end the letter, isn't it? We are to worship and to praise God as a response to all that he's done for us. In other words, all this doctrine that we've been learning about ought to lead to doxology, ought to lead to praise. Verse 20 reminds me of Fanny Crosby's old song, To God Be the Glory. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he hath done. And next, Paul says in verse 21, he says, Greet every saint. In Christ Jesus. I think the word greet signals that a church ought to be a loving fellowship of people. And we are to greet every, every believer every Sunday because we're all on the same team. We're all one in Christ. So let me encourage you to keep greeting each other. And, and maybe today you could greet someone you don't know. The word saint, verse 21, means that if you're saved, you've been set apart for God's service. A saint Contrary to the Catholic Church, it's just a holy person. It's just somebody who's been saved by the blood of Christ. So, so all believers are saints. Then in verse 21, Paul says, The brothers who are with me greet you. Who are these brothers? Who's with Paul? Well, the brothers, it's probably Timothy, or Paul's protege, and Timothy actually co-authored this letter. He said way back in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul and Timothy. It's probably Epaphroditus. Remember, Epaphroditus delivered the money to Paul, and Paul probably sent the letter back with him to Philippi. It may be Luke, that's Luke the physician, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and he accompanied Paul on some of his missionary journeys. And yet others may have been with him. So remember, Paul is in Rome under house arrest. He's waiting his trial, but apparently he's allowed to have some company. There are some brothers who are near him or or with him. Next, verse 22 states, Paul says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Who's Caesar's household? Well, Caesar's household... That's the administrative staff that ran the government in Rome. It might have been around a couple hundred thousand people in Rome. It would have included Caesar's soldiers. It would have included his service people, as well as all of his administrators who led the Roman Empire. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul said that Caesar's imperial guard had heard the gospel because of his imprisonment. Paul was thrown in jail, but it led to even Caesar's soldiers knowing about the Lord Jesus. So I think Paul's saying here in verse 21, those in Caesar's household, they've heard the name of Jesus Christ because of my imprisonment. God hasn't wasted this this suffering. And they greet you, those who are in Caesar's household, they greet you who are in Philippi. Finally, Paul ends with this simple sentence in verse 23. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
be with your spirit. I call Paul the theologian of grace because he's always talking about God's grace in his letters. He almost always starts his letters with God's grace and he almost always ends them by talking about God's grace. I would just ask you this morning, have you experienced God's grace in your life? Do you know the Lord Jesus? If you don't, you need to repent of your sins and believe the gospel. You you just turn from your, your sins against God and you cling to Christ Jesus by faith alone and God will save you by his grace alone. Paul says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So the core idea that we've developed in this sermon this morning is the church is to give and God will provide. It's this principle. God delights to provide for his people when his people give to the work of the ministry. There's a story I like about William Carey. You may have heard of William Carey. He's often called the father of modern missions. Well, Carey wanted to go to Burma to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but he lacked the financial resources. So he asked a group of ministers if they would support him financially. And the minister said this, Carey, if you'll go down the well, we'll hold the rope. What do they mean? They meant if you'll go to the other side of the world to share the gospel, then we'll support you financially. And to me, that's what churches should do. We must hold the rope so that preachers and missionaries and evangelists can spread the name of Christ. It's like the old saying, some must go, others must stay, but we all must give to the work of the gospel. Let me just close by saying this. I'm overjoyed with our church's generosity. Now, some of you have been giving faithfully for years and years and years, and I thank you for how you support our church and, and the ministry here. Because of your generosity, our church is able, even though we're pretty small, we're able to support a lot of missionaries and evangelists and, and outreach opportunities. And of course, you support me very faithfully as I preach God's word to you. So thank you. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this this letter from Paul to the church at Philippi. As we end this letter, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are joyful in Christ. Lord, remind us of verse 19, that you will supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. We pray these things in his name and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Before we take the supper, we will sing the first two verses.